Blog Talk Radio. She should be on in a moment. Okay. What about uh, Corey Lee? Um, Corey Lee is his. Is he three five two? That's Howard Gunn out of Florida. Oh, hello. Right. How are you? Good. How is everyone? Uh, Howard Gunn will be uh, listening, uh, Marcel. But what about yes. uh, Corey okay. Lee and Wayman Henson? Uh, I believe Wayman is on. Okay, good. Hello, Wayman. Okay. Would you like Wayman to and Corey. Yeah, waiting for Wayman and Corey Lee and Tanya Ward Jordan. Yes, I'm waiting for Tanya now. Looks like we have a lot of callers calling in. If you need to talk, please press number one so we know to get you in, so we can get the show started. There's a lot of people on the line, it looks like. Hit the number one on your phone so we see that we can get you through. And that voice was who, Marcel? That was me, Kaz. Yep. Hi, everyone. Yep. Hello there. Hello. It looks like we do have area code 856 is on, area code 256, and area code 352. 
And is that everyone? A nine six zero eight. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Looks like someone else just called in. Okay. What about nine zero three? Yes. Oh, there's nine zero three. They just got through. I'll put them in for you, Marcel. Let me help you out here. Nine area code nine zero three. We have area code nine zero three on. Okay. Is this everyone? And Corey will be Corey will be calling in any moment now. He didn't have the 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 link, so I sent him the link with the phone okay, number. Okay, very good. Okay. All right. Okay. So now we just have Tanya. We have Tanya now? No, we don't. I'm just waiting on Tanya. Yeah. Okay. Would you like me to call Tanya while you go ahead with the program? We could do that. Yeah, but I would want you to... Uh, come in as soon as possible because you are you are first. Okay, do that. Okay. Okay. I would like to thank uh, all of you for taking from your busy schedules this evening and being on the Marty Oakley Show. Uh, this show is designed to make sure that there is a space out there for whistleblowers. Uh, whether they be employees at the U.S. Department of Agriculture or elsewhere, as well as for um, farmers, uh, especially black farmers who have been on this show talking about the many issues and concerns around the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Tonight we are fortunate uh, to have uh, Wayman Henson, who uh, we included uh, late because we are changing the program around a little bit. Uh, We have uh, Michael Stovall, farmer from uh, Alabama. And, by the way, uh, uh, Wayman Henson is a close advisor with the Coalition of Minority Employees and Justice for Black Farmers uh, group, as well as uh, has done a lot of research and most importantly, he's put out a, uh, with the help of Gary Grant from North Carolina, he was able to uh, fund and put out a film talking about the struggle of black farmers. Um, and we've had him and the trailer on the show many, many times. We also have, uh, hopefully, um, we have Michael Stovall from Alabama, who has been a, a farmer that has been in the struggle with USDA personally. He has been um, supportive of other farmers. He, in fact, um, I was down in Kelly Ingram Park in Alabama 10 or 15 years ago uh, demonstrating on behalf of black farmers and and the independent black farmers, he has been uh, constantly and loyally uh, making sure and trying to make sure that justice come to our black farmers of this country uh, and all other farmers as well. We 
uh, we also have um, Corey Lee, who will be chiming in very soon. Uh, Farmer from Alabama. I'm sorry, from uh, Tennessee. And he has done and has been involved in uh, filing cases, what some people will call all over the place, uh, trying to do what he can to protect farmers, uh, black farmers. But he's also a farmer himself. And uh, he, too, has experienced the the evil discrimination and racism that many of the farmers that we speak for have suffered. And he will be talking tonight. We have first, we're going to introduce and have um, Tanya Ward-Jordan. And Tanya has been a fighter in the struggle for civil rights for quite a while. She's even uh, written a book uh, recent, uh, 17 Steps, a Federal Employee's uh, Guide for Tracking or Tacking Workplace uh, Discrimination. And she... I met Tanya many years ago, and she's been a loyal supporter also of um, civil rights and black farmers, employees at USDA and throughout the federal government. Marcel Reed also, who is uh, our co is the producer of the show with the passing of our dear friend and loyal supporter, Marty Oakley. Uh, Marcel Reed has been in the struggle for whistleblowers for many years and has put on uh, many programs and and the summit, the Whistleblower Summit uh, and, fil- and Film Festival. She has been a staunch supporter of whistleblowers, women, and she's been a strong supporter of us at USDA who are trying to bring about change. Uh, Hopefully, we do now have on the line um, Marcel Reed. Marcel, are you there? I'm here. Thank you. Okay. Uh, What about Tanya Ward-Jordan? Tanya, I hope you're, you're here with us. Is Tanya there? No, I don't see her here yet. I hope okay. she'll be here in a moment. Okay, well, what we'll do is let's get started with the show. And, Marcel, um, what I'd like to do is have you to introduce yourself to our listening public uh, with a little more detail. Talk about uh, the Whistleblower Summit. Talk about your commitment to whistleblowers before there was a summit. Talk about why you still are in this struggle and putting on a conference for many years now in Washington, a summit 
bringing all of us together in Washington, talking about the problems and the universal problem of racism, sexism, and other abuses in the workplace. I would like for you, um, our producer now, uh, Marshall Reed, will you give us a brief overview as to what you think is important in terms of how we are going about attacking this problem, as well as tell us about the Whistleblower Summit in Washington, which uh, the USDA Coalition of Minority Employees and Justice for Black Farmer, uh, Justice for Black Farmers will also participate slash group. Thank you very much. And Marcel, you have the floor. Thank you very much. Um, may I suggest a slight um, change to the format? Um, I will be very happy to talk about the summit, uh, which will be coming up in July. Um, two days of it live in Washington, D.C., and the bus will be virtual. Um, it will be July 22nd through the 30th. Uh, the first uh, five days will be virtual panels and um, a film festival. Um, it will be the 11th, hard to believe. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, Lawrence Lucas and Tanya and how it really started. Um, I had attended something called Whistleblower Week um, in Washington, D.C., uh, way back in 2008, I believe. Um, I, I didn't even know what a whistleblower was. I went to this conference, and there were all of these people talking about speaking truth to power, which sounded like a really cool slogan to me because I do a lot of sloganeering um, on the side professionally, and I thought that this was just a really cool slogan. I had no idea of what it was referring to, or the people who sacrifice so much to tell the truth. At that time, I was uh, chair of an organization some people might have heard of called ACORN um, in Washington, D.C. And they had requested that I come and attend this summit that they were having. Hello? Can you hear me? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Okay, something uh, glitched on my phone. I didn't know what it was. All right, so I attended. I was surrounded by these people. Uh, I believe this event was put on by a woman called um, uh, Marsha, uh, Dr. Marsha Abadayo, and she had written a great book about being a, a uh, whistleblower who had blown the whistle on uh, some people who were being poisoned by this noxious kind of uh, mining that they were doing in South Africa. She worked here in the U.S., and she waged an unbelievable battle to save these people. And that was my first introduction to whistleblowers. 
Um, because our community is so fraught with people who are filled with passion, it is very difficult sometimes for these people to work together. Uh, I don't know what happened years later. Uh, we came in to do the Whistleblower Summit. At that time, we came in with Lawrence Lucas, Tanya Ward-Jordan, Gap, and Pogo. And from that time till this, the USDA, Coalition of Minority Employees, has stood shoulder to shoulder with us as we go forward in this work. The only uh, other group that I have not mentioned is that there was a law enforcement component um, led by Matthew Falk and uh, Gap and Pogo, and at some point NWC. And we have been on Capitol Hill for the last 11 years going in front of lawmakers to explain what whistleblowing is, who affects whistleblowing, and I've been waging my own campaign for 10-plus years now to make whistleblowing available to everyone so people understand what it is and how it can serve them and how it actually makes society better. So whistleblowing is when you speak up at great personal cost, whether it's your career or your job or, or a few of us, personal endangerment, to speak truth to power and to try to insert some type of ethics into the system. Because almost everything we talk about is a lack of ethics within the system. And you need people brave enough, strong enough, determined enough, like Michael Silver said, he's been doing this for 30 years. I'm tired, and I've been doing this for 12. So uh, that is it. Tanya has um, always stood shoulder to shoulder with us. She covers EEOC complaints, and she has been very effective in helping to pass legislation. Um, the No Fear Act was passed by uh, Marsha Abadayo, but uh, the revised No Fear Act was um, a product of C4C, Coalition for Change, that is run by Tommy Wood Jordan. And as soon as Tanya comes up, I'll be sure to get Hello. her on. Greetings. Can you hear Hi, me? Tanya? I can Hi. hear you now. Oh, wonderful. Yes, Hi. thank you so much. Yeah, you covered a lot, everything. I mean, so so succinctly, absolutely. Um, what would you like me to speak on today? I could tell you all that one of the reasons I'm a little late for the to the call is actually because I was – hurrying to the post office early today to write the president and some lawmakers about another uh, point that we're blowing the whistle on, and, and that's dealing with the United States Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Because as many of you know, that that is a common link with regard to federal workplace discrimination. I mean, whether you work for agriculture 
uh, whether you work for Veterans Affairs, as I say, from A through Z, if there was a department that start with a Z, that too would be filled with discrimination. And But yet the United States Equal Employment Opportunity Commission oversees all that from a, a federal EEO complaint program standpoint, and they've been failing miserably at doing the job. And, you know, we continue, when I say we, I'm with the Coalition for Change, Inc., C4C. I am the president and founder, and I found it because I, like so, so many of my colleagues, uh, agriculture and, and, and energy, and uh, Marsh, excuse me, Marcel spoke about Dr. Marsha Coleman Adebayo and uh, from Environmental Protection Agency. It's just so many of us in the trenches facing discrimination, and we have a so-called, so-called I say, enforcement agency in EOC who's not enforcing the law, and therefore. You know, I've, when C for C, it's so much discrimination we have to deal with, and it not only impacts the civil servant, it impacts the public that we are to serve, the programs, the services, and therefore, you know, we consciously uh, come together and we've been very persistent. And as I was telling my colleagues today, we can't just put it in the hands of, Anyone, we have a voice. We must continue to lift our voice, and I'm just so pleased to join uh, Lawrence Lucas and Marcel Reed and others in coming together and putting our heads together and coming together at this whistleblower summit. And um, I definitely will be there uh, at the end of July. Okay, thank you for that introduction. Uh, I'm glad that, uh, as usual, you're busy Always, if you're late, you were probably late because you were doing something else to help someone uh, to to better this workplace uh, problem that we have. Tanya, I thank you. The one thing, uh, Tanya, I would like for you to do, uh, Tanya, you uh, published a new book, 17 uh, Steps, A Federal Employee's Guide to Tackling Workplace uh, Discrimination. Uh, Tell us. Uh, tell us a little about the book, and tell tell us what motivated you to write this book. Very good. Well, thank you, Lawrence. Well, what motivated me is that I, like so many other, suffered workplace discrimination and retaliation. My agency actually put me in a storage room where I couldn't breathe, where I started having panic attacks and suffering from depression. Uh, I had never experienced that discrimination to that point before, and I was like, well, you you know, what do you do? I mean, it costs so much money to retain these lawyers, and a lot of the times the lawyers don't do you service, they don't do the complainant service, and therefore I represented myself in the administrative process of the EEO process, and later I did get an attorney, but then the attorney, and I can't say his name, basically botched the case, and I wind up going pro se in court. And so that was the impetus of me writing this book. It was like there are certain steps that a federal employee who's facing discrimination can take. There are certain steps that they can take. I'm not telling anybody to forego an attorney, 
But I am saying whether you have an attorney or not, if you're a federal employee or if you're thinking about joining the federal service, federal government, you need to know about the Federal EEO Complaint Program. And so this book, 17 Steps, A Federal Employee's Guide for Tackling Workplace Discrimination, basically it starts off a little bit telling you about my experience and then goes on to some basic steps in the process, in the EEO process, and it also gives some case law in case you're confronted because a lot of, you can have the best case in the world. As I say, people think they have the smoking gun case. But at the end of the day, you have to back that case up with facts, um, with some case law. And, and so and that's why I, I wrote the book. I should say also that I wanted, I always tell people, because I, I tend to have been counseling a lot of people, so many people, and I'm, first of all, let me say that I'm not a lawyer, got to say that. But I am someone who suffered from workplace discrimination and has filed, unfortunately, a number of complaints that gone through the system and have settled uh, a couple of complaints. And with that, I tell people, yes, you make mistakes along the way. I have. But from I, what I did and tried to do in this book is capture some of those mistakes so that other people won't have to make those and fall into that pitfall. Because at the end of the day, I just want to help someone because it's a very stressful process, as you know, Lawrence, and uh, it is overwhelming, and a lot of people are sinking a lot of money into lawyers uh, where they can do things themselves at the very beginning of the process. Oh, thank you very much. Um, Tanya, tell us, because we have been dealing with this problem at the USDA, we're going to now turn our attention to uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Tanya, you have been, um, we've marched in front of energy from Farragut Park or one of those parks down there, down the street with Dr. Marshall at a bayou five, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and, and, but you have been, and Dr. Marshall at a bayou and uh, Marcel Reed have been a strong supporter of what has been going on in terms of supporting the coalition and the Justice for Black Farmer, i.e. Justice Black Farmer group. Um, and you have been involved in a number of demonstrations. Uh, tell us, uh, share with us, and because we're now moving to USDA, tell us what you think about USDA. I remember there was a gentleman that wrote a book called The Last Plantation, and uh, which tells a lot about what is going on well before uh, the, the farmer movement and John Boyd came into this picture. And I'm also talking about the work that you did, that we also did, in looking at uh, federal agencies and the work of Leroy Warren from the NACP Absolutely. when the NACP was a very effective organization uh, struggling for the truth. Uh, when it comes to civil rights at USDA, uh, kind of share with us 
uh, that background and that history, please. But, but, you know, it's amazing how much time has passed, but it's been over a quarter of a century uh, now, Lawrence. You know, since I've been working with you and USDA and, and, and knowing the history of that, starting with Leroy Warren with the Federal Sector Task Force. And there's been egregious actions over there at the United States Department of Agriculture. And as I tell people, you know, the internal discrimination bleeds out into our programs and services, and that's what you have with going on at USDA. You have rampant discrimination in employment, and therefore you have these officials, okay, in these staunch positions who are overseeing programs that impact our communities. And there is no accountability when an administrator, a manager in the employees' ranks of the United States Department of Agriculture, there's no disciplinary, enforced disciplinary action against one when they engage in discrimination or abuse of employees. And, you know, it saddens me, and you're right, I've been – you know, I was there at the filibuster in front of the United States Department of Agriculture. I did the walk down, I think it was Constitution, Constitution Avenue, Independence Avenue. I've been there with you and others, Marcel and um, and Dr. Marcia Coleman Adebayo. And so, and you were speaking about the last plantation. Yes, by all means, I actually was one of the one of the early films that we were doing with the ATL Atlantic Trade Lifestyle. Um, magazine and, and video personnel, I actually provided input about what I knew about USDA and the, just the climate, the, the hostile climate. And, it, again, it, it, it's a, it ties back to the whole EEO complaint system in a part because they're not, EEOC is not enforcing. And then not only is EEOC not enforcing, then you have the administrators obviously at Department of Agriculture, because we don't always have to wait for EOC to do the right thing, though they should. They should be kind of the safety net when the agencies like or departments like USDA is not doing the right thing. Now, Department of Agriculture, like these other departments, have a table of penalties, right? So when these managers uh, fail to follow through on a program because of discrimination, if they engage in perjury or any of these offenses, they could be held accountable, but they're not. I get a lot of the – I'm with Coalition for Change, Inc., and C4C is a support – it's two things. It's a support network and FSC for federal employees and past employees who blow the whistle on abuses. And I get a substantial number of Department of Agriculture employees coming to my support network just for that emotional and informational support because they just can't take it. It's just so unbearable. And one of the problems, and there are many, in the short time I have with you, I will share that, you know, when someone tries to speak out at agriculture about the abuse and they file a complaint, number one, sometimes it falls on deaf ears of the administrators. They don't process the complaint. So what do you do when your managers or the EEO and civil rights people don't process your complaints? Where do you take it then? The catch twenty two, and where and then when the 
employees who have a complaint, the aggrieved parties who have a complaint, they take it to the EEOC. Maybe they want a hearing on their issues, and then the EEOC, and I have documentation of this, they don't even take and listen to your complaint. You know, they don't give you grant you a hearing, but instead they toss you right back, and this is a, a couple of cases um, relevant, uh, pertinent to this day, um, going on now with e, uh, agriculture, where they taught EEOC, the people, had the agriculture employees had requested a hearing on their complaints, their discrimination complaints, because they're being discriminated against by officials at USDA. They take it, well, e, uh, agriculture is being pretty non-responsive, so they take it to the EEOC, and they, what does the EEOC do? They kick it right back to the United States Department of Agriculture. And now a number of those couple of people, those people, they didn't know what else to do but to go to court. Now they're in that quagmire. They're in the district court. And, and you know, that's unfortunate because there you go again. You know, they're hoping, they're hoping that these warriors would be so tired and financially drained um, that, you know, no one will have a proper recourse against agriculture. And this, again, is not just the employees. It's the employees, yes, but they're upholding the public trust. And if they're not being secured in the workplace, trying to expose these things that are affecting the communities, we all are victimized and jeopardized. And therefore, you know, we really um, have to continue speaking out, and I'm definitely standing with you in the United States Department of Agriculture, as you know. Oh, my God, right there with the forest, oh, the, the women of the Forest Service, God bless them. I, I mean, my heart goes out to the women of the Forest Service who I have stand, stood with, who I've listened to, cried with. They have been a number of them have been sexually abused. I actually heard the tape of where one manager said some horrible, despicable, immoral things to one young lady, a forest, uh, she was a forest fighter at the time, and, you know, I understand she subsequently no longer works there because of all the harassment. It gets so hostile. You know, you can't keep, and this jeopardizes the whole federal government. When you don't secure your workforce like firefighters, then you, you're jeopardizing the communities. I mean, it, it really is a, a, a despicable situation going on over there. I must admit, I I was surprised given all the, I want to be, well, I don't want to say politically correct. I'll let me just say this. I was surprised that uh, Secretary Vilsack was still there. I know that a lot of times when we were marching and these problems were there then, I've seen some press release where it says things have gotten better, but then I get the real stories from the people who say it is not getting better. I read cases where people from agriculture have filed, and they and it shows it's not getting better. And I, I, you know, we we really have to uh, continue to speak out on this and, and drive change. Thank you very much, uh, Tanya. You have uh, really covered a lot of ground about the history of USDA uh, and letting um, those uh, individuals who are just thinking about the farmer issue uh, 
how deep and how long we have been in this struggle. Uh, mm-hmm. You got some new pioneers in the, in this struggle that knows that know very little about the depth and the pain and suffering that employees as well as farmers have suffered. Um, Michael Stovall, for example, he understands that it's it's the institution and the culture. And if you don't get the institutional change, uh, nothing will happen. I want to thank you for, and I want you to stay on, because um, when we get into the conversation talking uh, uh, with the farmers, I want you to feel free to chime in because you've been around this issue a long time. They haven't, they don't know you as well as I do. They don't understand that you've been in this struggle with us for 20 some years, going on almost 30 years. So I want to thank you for all the work that you have done, all the work you continue to do. And uh, before we go any further, I want to make sure before we go into part two, which I want you to stay on the line, um, Tanya, if you can, because when we have this conversation, there are going to be things that you're going to be wanting to either ask questions or participate in. But before we do that, I want to make sure that uh, our producer and guest tonight, um, uh, uh, Marcel Reed, uh, do you have any additional comments, Marcel, Marcel, to uh, add to uh, the already talked about uh, USDA and the civil rights process in the federal government. Marcel? Really, I think I'm here. Can you hear me, Lauren? Yes. Hello? Okay. Um, I think just about everything Tanya has covered, I just want to reiterate again that um, the tremendous battle that uh, the Forestry Service uh, Women Firefighters waged and continued to wage was under Lisa was absolutely unbelievable. And like Tanya, you know, we have walked the halls of the Senate. We have walked the halls of Congress, uh, the House, the Senate. Uh, and I have been around as these women have pled for help. Uh, we have been in senators' offices, and um, there's a lot of lip service and very little follow-through which is why it takes so long for any of this to be resolved and why, as Tanya said, they hope to wear you out to the point that the issue is no longer raised, but they don't seem to be interested in having the issue resolved. Well, thank you, Marcel. And um, Marcel, um, we're hoping that uh, you will feed into when we get into the conversation uh, with our next uh, segment, which includes uh, bringing on, uh, we, we have, uh, I hope everybody is here, uh, uh, Corey Lee. Uh, 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 Corey Lee, are you there? Yes, sir, um, I'm here. Okay, good. Um, Michael Stovall, are you still with us? Michael? Yes, sir, I'm here. Okay, and the other person is... Um, uh, Dr. Uh, Wayman Henson. Wayman, are you there? No, Wayman? I'm here. Okay. Okay, we're going to get started into the second part. And uh, what I've done prior to uh, getting on the show tonight, I talked with our producer, 
uh, Marcel Reed, and and we have a little more time. We extended our time to make sure that we are able to uh, take a deep dive into what's going on at USDA. And I'm going to change up uh, our schedule a little bit. And Wayman, what I'm, uh, Dr. Henson, um, and I'm pleased to know that you're with us tonight, uh, along with uh, and all the work that you've been doing in the farm area, and I'm, I'm very pleased that uh, Corey Lee is here, advocate and farmer, and Michael Stovall, advocate and farmer, who I've been knowing for many, a uh, couple of de- over uh, two decades now. And so what I would like to do is since we had last week uh, or this past week, um, Dr. Hanson, you attended a or was on a Zoom call that um, that was done a few days ago uh, that talked about how the Federation of Southern Cooperatives were going to uh, work with USDA to kind of solve and help USDA with its what we call a their rollout. And it's related to Section 2207, if I'm not mistaken, in the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, signed into law by uh, President Biden in August of 2022. Um, They're supposed to be putting together a program, and you all can move either way you want to in making your point. But I would like seeing that this event just happened and it's talking about so-called saving black farmers and making sure that black farmers get paid. And that system that Tom Vilsap has put together uh, on this side of the fence, we have questioned it uh, for many months and over a year now. If the U.S. Department of Agriculture is controlling something, and it's, and it's controlled to make sure that you that you get your justice. I would say that I would think that you would have to question, based on their their history, and their history is the last plantation. How suddenly they're going to start caring about uh, farmers? Can you tell us, from your perspective? what you heard, and we I'd like to move into this conversation, and I would like for Michael Soval and uh, Corey to be very uh, free, because we've got enough time, be very free in your um, analogy of what's going on at USDA and what went on in this meeting, and I want uh, Dr. Henson to give um, his thoughts and feelings as well as be around and stay with us. Um, to, to make sure you, we get involved in this conversation and what's going on at USDA, who we think is not beneficial to black farmers. Dr. Henson. Well, well I, I approached this um, the Zoom call with uh, a spirit of skepticism. Um, I decided to go ahead and register for the Zoom call to learn what I could about what's going on currently because we have seen the debacle 
that is the USDA in terms of debt relief for uh, uh, financially distressed borrowers. Uh, you know, we can't say socially disadvantaged. We can't say black farmers just got to be race neutral. And so we've seen the cherry picking that um, that Bill Sack has done with black farmers in that particular section of this particular bill. And then some wonder, so what in the world are they going to do? What's it going to do uh, to mess up things on this side? Because there's a large sum of money. $2.2 billion for farmers who can show that they have been discriminated against in the loan servicing uh, the dimension of dealing with the USDA. So it was with a spirit of skepticism uh, th that I came into this conversation because I have opinions about what happens when they are in Vilsack's hip pocket, and then I have opinions about those of us who do what we do when we're not beholden to the dollars from, from the secretary. So, so th th there were some things that I learned. Uh, there's a very friendly orientation that the Federation has toward, uh, toward USDA and for Tom Vilsack. The second thing uh, that I thought was interesting was that they hey, lined wait out. Uh, wait a minute. No, hold on. Wait a minute. Hold on just a minute. Um, you uh, kind of, um, I'm, I hear you, but, I noticed that uh, you're breaking up a little bit. Is it uh, is it because you're too close to the phone? Uh, something is creating so that you're not coming in as clear as you you normally do. Okay. Uh, well, I've got uh, I've got my heads I've got my headset in, and I'll just talk louder and uh, be stiller when I'm sitting at my desk. So, okay. So this, is, uh, this is better, Wayman. Go ahead. Okay, so so I'll quit rocking and I'll, I'll quit moving. I, I'll I'll stay in my place. Yeah. So so, so <laughs> no, I don't want so, you to stay so, in your place. I want you to I want you to let let loose the truth tonight. <laughs> I'll just be still while I speak what I think is the truth. So so the second thing that I learned. Well, so so I really wanted to know is what is the orientation of somebody who is very friendly toward. Uh, toward USDA because the, the lane that I run in, Lawrence, that you're in, and Corey and Michael, they, we're not friendly toward USDA because we see the shenanigans and the malfeasance which occurs left and right and uh, what um, has been said thus far about uh, uh, employees and how that ripples across over into uh, in services and that sort of thing I think is absolutely spot on. But the second thing that came out was that there really is a time frame that apparently is in place. So between May and June of this year, there will be onboarding community-based organizations getting training. And so as a side, bar, a side piece here, the Federation of Southern Cooperatives is going to be one of those TBOs. So they are in a favored status with uh, with Tom Vilsack. The second phase of, for this year is June to November, and that will be a lot of outreach, a lot of technical assistance, uh, uh, getting farmers and uh, black farmers and others to apply uh, to uh, for for these processes. And so the documents haven't been developed yet. So by the second phase of things, they will be uh, they will be in place and can apply. The third thing is that this will all be wrapped up, if you can believe it, by December of 2023.
I find that unbelievable. Now, a third thing that came out really loud and clearly is that um, kind of making this as if it's good news is that there will be no fees incurred by farmers if they're applying through the processes with these assigned or designated community-based organizations. So no fees for them. Now, a thing that, that I thought was really interesting was that as an aside, the speaker within Federation just kind of basically said there will be a, a variety of community-based organizations and they'll be receiving training, blah, blah, blah. And, oh, by the way, we're one of those groups. So I'm thinking, heard it, thought it was going to be said, but, but heard it. Um, another thing that was really uh, compelling was that at, at one place, within the printed literature for the USDA, it will say very clearly, no, you do not need to hire an attorney. So I'm thinking, so how's the Federation going to handle that issue this time? So what they did was the political dance that says, no, we don't think you're going to need an attorney. But if you think you're going to need an attorney, we're not going to tell you that you don't need an attorney. If you think you need one, get one. And oh, by the way, if you get one and you sign a contract, then you're going to be obligated for those fees. Don't expect any kind of uh, 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 reimbursement for attorney fees from the USDA. That was, I thought that was really very interesting. So they're, they're covering both sides of that coin. And then another thing that was pretty interesting that, that people around this table feel very strongly about is that she, speaking for the, for the Federation, says that the $500,000 cap is something that Congress put in, and she said, do not expect to come anywhere close to that particular figure. Don't expect to get that kind of money. That the settlements that you get will be probably significantly lower than that. Uh, and so it's like if, that, if farmers were expecting to, on the merits of their case, to get at $500,000, then their, their hopes were, were dashed uh, big time in, in, that, in that particular meeting. Uh, um, that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell, that uh, the Federation is in a favored status relationship with Secretary Vilsack. And we've actually known that for a long time. And, and as a sidebar, if I could quickly say this, that several months back there was a list of community-based organizations, 20 of them, that were uh, given a total of $75 million, no accountability, no transparency, no uh, application processes, none of that kind of stuff. And so people we know are the chairs of the presidents of many of those organizations. And so the Federation is one of those 20 community-based organizations, which has already been benefiting by a gift um, unsought out by, by the USDA. And so we know they're in favored status. And so I think, I think what we need to do is continue to look with um, skepticism What's going to happen? Oh, another thing that I forgot to mention was that in this particular meeting, they announced what we already know to be the case, that there is an administrator group 
that's been designated. There are two hubs, quote-unquote, that have been designated. And the curiosity is that all three of those groups are right there within a stone's throw of uh, the USDA office. One's down on Connecticut Avenue and one in Silver Spring, Maryland, and one in College Park, Maryland. And if you look at those organizations, they lack what I would call face validity in terms of what do you know about black farmers and about discrimination, and can you legitimately handle the administrative pieces of that? And I would say, and if I were a black farmer and I were looking at that, I would say, Secretary Vilsack, you've got to be kidding one more time. This is a throwback, it looks like to me, to uh, Pickford One. So that, that, that's a brief summation of that particular meeting, Lawrence. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I think that that can uh, kind of open up the conversation uh, with some of the other things that are tied uh, to what is going on with regard to black farmers um, and trying to get um, the monies, uh, the full um, – and we're not talking about the debt relief – we're talking about what a farmer is owed because of their pain, because of their losses, and we want a hundred percent. Now, if in fact they're going to limit the amount of money, uh, and we've seen uh, what Porman Douglas did um, and the way they handle uh, Pickford too. Uh, we know that we are very suspicious as to how this process is going to work if, in fact, it's controlled and directed by USDA. The one thing that I have problems with, and uh, I've been saying this for quite a while, that um, the problem is is that you don't have any appeal rights. Uh, we haven't seen any guidelines. Uh, we haven't seen any application. And and the other thing that bothered me uh, and others is that um, USDA says you don't need an attorney. Um, if USDA tells you, tell a farmer they don't need an attorney, I think you better find someone who's going to be there with you to make sure that when your complaint is be when you file and sit down and try to get your your issue as related to your losses, which is, we say 100% and not a percentage, not a gift of what USDA want to give, but 100% of what is owed the farmer. And we have serious problems as to whether uh, that is going to happen in this process. And there are, And the other thing um, that we have to also keep our eyes on the ball here. We still have uh, debt relief that was passed by the Congress legislation, and Bill Sapp has not um, implemented and paid off the debt relief that is still sitting there. So how can we trust him uh, to do this right if he hasn't even finished what he was do doing with the, with the debt relief, he's only cherry picked and paid and paid a few farmers who 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 has been very vocal and um, 
and some of the and some of their cases have been uh, publicized in the media. So therefore, he cherry picked and paid them. But the but the magnitude of farmers they have not paid, and the many cases of uh, farmers who are still lying dormant in USDA has not been. They have not stepped up to resolve it. Um, I would like, uh, with that being said, I would like to. Um, have Corey Lee to come in, and uh, Corey, what is your position? You've been filing. Uh, you've been a farmer, and and we don't. Uh, we've got about another uh, thirty-five minutes to go. Um, you you're a farmer. You've lost your land, and and you've been filing complaints. And and some people say that uh, um, uh, what you do is kind of a little crazy and shooting from the hip. Can you explain what's going on here from your perspective and why you filed these courts, uh, I mean, these cases in court from Washington, D.C. to Tennessee? Uh, give us a little overview and tell us what is going on from your perspective, please. Corey Lee. Well, well uh, Wayman had the, the nail on the head. Uh, so when he goes to get these three uh, groups to administer uh, the 22007 of the Inflation Reduction Act, there's more to it than that. One, the Constitution does not allow for him to do that. Okay, so they're like Pickford, as Wayman uh, correctly uh, stated, that's what they're trying to recreate. But however, you must dis- distinguish that in Pickford there was a settlement agreement. So the law allows for a, a court-appointed receivership or monitors for a, uh, a settlement agreement, but this is not a settlement agreement. This is a congressional act. The Fifth Circuit and the Sixth Circuit has been very clear in just last year that says that a private group cannot administer a congressional act, and that's basically what's going on right here. So uh, with that being said, my position is is that you just gave out $100 million to someone to determine the the monetary damages from black farmers in particular, but the Supreme Court, the Fifth Circuit, and the Sixth Circuit says you could not do it. So I challenged it uh, within and back in, in April is when we started, and I just put in for temporary restraining order just uh, a week ago, and we're waiting for the ruling on that. And the second part, well, there's two other parts of that. And another issue uh, that I have with that is that, as was stated earlier, by Mr. Lucas and Mr. Hanson is that there's no appeals process. So what they have done is they have put these black farmers in a desperate situation thinking that they may get up to $500,000. They're not going to get nowhere close to five hundred, uh, excuse me, $500,000. Uh, and the deal is, is so that if you have to sign away your your right to appeal, to see what your damages are going to be, what's going to prevent them from sending you a check from $100 until you go on your way and you sign the way your appeal is right? Okay, now, the law also says that a federal agency such as the USDA cannot supply your information to a private group. Well, they can't assess the damages to you if they can't access your records. So if it catch. 2022, and we're fighting feverishly to get the judge to uh, declare 
that it is unconstitutional for Bill Sack to use the uh, 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 the three private groups to uh, access monetary damages to black farmers. Now, let's go one step further. Over the last week, over the last week, strangest thing I think I've heard since my involvement with uh, the black farmer movement is that some of these organizations, actually, in fact, it was said last yesterday on the uh, Federation's uh, uh, conversation, as they call it, was if the black farmers don't act now that the Republicans uh, may use this position in the debt ceiling uh, 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 controversy is going on right now to claw that money back from the budget. Well, first of all, do your reading. Do not follow every rabbit that Tom Bilsack throws out. I felt yesterday that the young lady that was talking was Tom Bilsack in drag. If I close my eyes, I can see Tom Bilsack putting on brown paint in a wig because everything that puppeted out of her mouth, you can imagine Tom Bilsack telling you to your face what she was saying. And that did not sit very well with me. I didn't speak up, but I was listening. And the problem is, as again, that was pointed out earlier, that Bill Sack has been, you know, he, he's been brilliant in being able to take black farm advocates. He gives them a little money, and then they do his bidding for him. And what they're doing, are, they're taking advantage of these farmers that have been long-suffered and not on my watch today. And, and I cannot stand. It's bad enough to watch Vilsack lie to Congress, lie to the American public, and then slow walk the process hoping somebody will come on, come along and block it, you know, to, to block the release that was promised to the, the black farmers in particular, and, and we get nothing out of it. But my position, again, goes a little further. So I'm going to give you a, a little bit of story about Harry Young. Harry Young was from West Kentucky, had 289 uh, acres up there, and he had approximately 500,000 uh, tons of coal on his property. Harry Young paid for his, uh, his his farm back in the late 80s. So what the USDA does is, is that when a black farmer either pays his farm off or gives him relief to take his uh, to, to to you know satisfy the debt, they don't release the lien. So when people think that hey, I paid my farm off and don't do the due diligence to make sure that that, that lien is written off, they'll come back years later and take that farm because you have to remember they'll go to a federal court so they can play on their home field. And so that U.S. judge, federal judge, is getting his check from the same place Tom Bick is getting, Tom Bilsack is getting his check from. And, and so I must caution black farmers, don't get excited about what's going on because there's a much greater plan. They've already shown you the playbook. They showed you the playbook in, in Pickford where you were supposed to get your debt written off. That did not happen. And then those people who thought they got their debt written off, they came back years later and started foreclosing on these farms. So uh, I, I received a call yesterday from a farmer down in South Georgia. says, hey, Corey Lee, uh, there are a lot of people upset with you. They're saying that, you're sabotaging the relief to black farmers. Okay, first of all, why would I sabotage relief to myself? People forget that I'm a farmer myself. And two, I've already seen the playbook. 
So for those people who have a problem for me to try to save myself as other black farmers, call me directly. Don't call other farmers. Call me directly, and I'll explain to you in this tune of what's really going on. Because some of the problem is is that Bill Sack realizes that the black farmers are not organized. They're not together. And so if they feed misinformation to these so-called trusted community-based organizations, that the, the opinion is going to be all over the place. So anything that I tell you, any responses you have, but rebut anything that I tell you factually. Because, again, I deal with thousands of black farmers all over the South, and I've, I've just about seen it all, but you can't even fathom what Tom Bilsack is currently doing. However, this is not just Tom Bilsack. This is Joe Biden's agenda. Joe, Tom Bilsack cannot do anything that Joe Biden is not letting him do. And then you have the Black Congressional Caucus, who is just as much to blame as anybody, because they get so comfortable up in D.C. because they've got a seat to the power but what they're fearing is if I scout that the Republican machine is going to go against me in my next election, talking about he's racist or she's racist, and they only want to help the people. But, damn it, it was your people to put you in that office. And I'm more disgusted with the Black Congressional Caucus from the standpoint of we know what Tom Bilsack is. We know what they expect. But when you've got over 50 Black Congressional Caucus members sitting there, doing absolutely nothing, nothing to make sure the legislation that they pass gets implemented, implemented, and I got a problem. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to vote against Joe Biden. I'm going to campaign against Joe Biden. But, however, it doesn't stop there because we must look at what we have as black leadership up there because if you can't stand for what's right, not because we're black but because we're so-called Americans, then you've got to go. Black leadership looks like Justin Johnson, Justin Pearson in the state of Tennessee, whose eloquence speaks the facts, who don't want anything other than what the law allows. It, it, it becomes uncomfortable to people who are steadily seeing racism down your face. What we have in Washington does not work. I saw something just two days ago. Uh, James Clyburn goes with this, Mr. President, uh, black America is 100%. That's a lie. Clyburn, it was you that, that resurrect, resurrected Joe, Biden, Joe Biden's campaign in South Carolina. We went along with it because we didn't have any viable candidates, but now we got a body of work. James Clyburn does not speak for black America because if you can name one thing, other than Joe Biden kind of pushing through some money through HBCUs that he has done what he promised for black America, I've got time today. You can't do it. So the part of the problem is America likes polarized political figures. At some point in time, middle America has to win because Washington is out of control. We've got the far right. We've got the far left. When does middle America win? And we have got to take control of government again, if that means displacing or, or replacing members of the Black Congressional Caucus, they've been there too long. 
here going along just to get along at our expense. Everybody knows that wealth somehow is related to real estate. Well, while Joe Biden and Tom Bilsack is steadily chipping away at this black farmland, it's your generational wealth. Black people, you have got to wake up. I don't have to speak. Again, I know what he is, but black America, I need to speak to you because what the problem is, somebody kills a drug dealer somewhere, we are not vocal. But if a drug dealer or somebody that shouldn't be doing something they shouldn't be doing gets assassinated, we go and tear a damn town down. But they take 15 million acres from you over 80 years, you do nothing. Wonder why we can't do any better what we do because they roll a basketball out there and make sure that we all play in the basketball court instead of getting into the law into the to the to the courtrooms instead of getting into the hospital. That's why I got a problem. As a black man, we have got to wake up. The conversation okay. needs to start in the mirror. It does not need to start well since we just did this to us. We have first got to look at ourselves. Well, Corey, Corey, um, let me stop you here because, um, well, I think our listening public has just heard what the emotion of one farmer, and I've heard uh, similar conversations with other farmers around around the country from time to time. Um, What you've just heard is the frustration with our leaders. What you've heard is the frustration uh, with what is going on at USDA. What you've heard is the frustration by one farmer that, and don't think that he is the only uh, black farmer who feels the way he does um, and advocates that feel the same. Um, I would like to now uh, have, uh, Corey, thank you very much, I, I know this uh, issue bothers you uh, so much that uh, it's a very emotional issue with you because you lost land, and a lot of people don't understand that uh, you've lost land too, and you are a black farmer uh, before you became a, uh, a advocate that you are now. Um, Michael Stovall, uh, this is a perfect time for you to chime in. You've been very patient and listening, and you've heard a lot uh, from uh, from uh, Tanya Ward Jordan about the the culture and the institution uh, at, at USDA. You've heard about uh, what is being peeled off by uh, groups that are considered to be favored, uh, and they call them favorite uh, uh, agencies that do business with USDA. You've been in, in this struggle for a long time, and I have. Uh, uh, march with you and you march with us in front of USDA and you march with the employees and you put the same amount of time in with the employees as you had farmers. There's, there's one person that I trust to tell uh, as well as others, um, but I know you feel very strongly about this issue. Will you chime in and kind of give your perspective? of what you see, what you feel, and what you think uh, 
uh, we at USDA and, and advocates need to do and what farmers need to do in order to um, uh, ward off another pick for two, which is, which is in the making based on what we have heard from what USDA and, and, and their supporters are rolling out of Washington. Uh, thank you for being on tonight, and uh, you have the floor. Good evening, everyone. Um, I'm going to go back to some of the things that Mr. Corey Lee and Mr. Wayman Henson and you as well, Mr. Lucas. Uh, 2007 was just a plan for them to put in place to eliminate as many black farmers as possible. Uh, when you owe black farmers over $350 billion, if you can get them to fall for this gift that they're rolling out to accept, it's going to eliminate it you from any future um, uh, damages that's owed to you. It just was a setup from the beginning. And if any black farmer that's lost anything, with land, equipment, whatever, you'd never get to the to the five hundred thousand because it wasn't designed for you to get there, okay? We as black farmers got to do better in what we're doing. We're so divided. We got to just come together and demand the $350 million that we do, okay? Um, a lot of these farmers already knows what's going on. Most people that apply for that money ain't real farmers. The real farmers lost land. They lost income. They lost equipment. Those are the real farmers. But the farmers that's just getting started, claiming discrimination, that hadn't even been in the loop long enough, the loss and the damages, those are the farmers that's going to apply for that money and be denied, okay? What they're trying to do is eliminate the $350 billion that's due to these farmers. After losing 50 million acres of land, that's a lot of land. And we steady losing land. I didn't lost several farms, okay? The cattle, equipment, and everything. But we as black farmers and black groups got to come together. What they doing, picking organizations, giving them this large amount of money to do more damage to black farmers. That's the whole design, okay? People like these organizations that are supposed to be supporting black farmers and getting paid, these farmers do not need to go in there and fill out one application. They need to let this stuff lay there and not do anything and file a class action lawsuit that's big enough to cover their losses, okay? That's what needs to happen because this go along to get along with this two point some billion dollars ain't no money. It's no money for what the farmers are doing, okay? So we as black farmers got to ram up together, come together, go to Washington, demand our rights. We're in a better place now than we've ever been. We do, do not need to drop the ball. And we got activists, people out here supporting that 500000 and these farmers ain't going to get nowhere near that. You don't even have a appeal process. You're going to use judicators without economists. How in the world 
are these farmers going to get due process? They're going to give you a gift, and you're going to lose your rights to what you do. And we as black farmers got to come together, go to Washington, D.C., and demand our rights. File this class action lawsuit enough to cover everybody. We need similar farmers. Farmers that had grain bin was foreclosed on. Farmers lost land. Farmers lost equipment. Whatever category that you fall in, it needs to be under this class action lawsuit. Because otherwise, you're not going to get due process, and you're going to give up the rights to what you do. And that's what's going on. And $2.7 billion or $2.2 billion ain't no money when you owe these folks $350 billion. Do the math. It shows you all they're trying to do is limit the amount of farmers as much as they can so they can say they've done something. But at the end of the day, we come together, stand together, ask for due process, file a class action. They didn't already admit they discriminated against them. They didn't already admit they took 15 million acres. They didn't already admit they owe us $350 billion. We need to demand that money for the next generation and the generation that's farming now. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I think that was pretty clear. Uh, so um, many people hear about uh, the word the last plantation. Um, I, have, I have said many, many times in public and otherwise, other, other words as well, <laughs> that the USDA under Tom Vilsap is being run like a plantation. And what well, I mean by that, and uh, we've seen some of the, uh, in the, on March 1, when we were demonstrating in front of the White House, uh, the political satire that was depicted on some of the signs, which talked about the culture, which talked about the fact is <clears throat> that USDA uh, has, in fact, excuse me, I'm losing my voice here, um, USDA has discriminated against black farmers. It's also talked about how um, Biden, uh, the blacks in America, uh, voted for Biden, and he gave us Tom Vilsap. Um, there are many of those cartoons and the signs depicted what really the emotion that has come from not from the, the groups that are being controlled or the accepted uh, groups that they describe in their uh, um, their effort to roll out this program and identify certain certain groups that they are trusted. Tell tell me the demonstration in Washington. Do you think that that was a demonstration and and what many people felt? 
50, 60, or 70 people who demonstrated in, in front of the White House. Do you think that was a legitimate uh, a demonstration? And do you think what was said and what was being portrayed in front of the White House were things that should be brought to the attention of Biden as well in the White House? What is your reaction to that? Well, the demonstration was awesome. Our problem with the USDA ever since the USDA had been started, is that systemic racism. This, this, this agency been racist ever since it began, in 18 or whatever year it began. It never stopped, and it, it just steady goes on. And the programs is not designed for black people or people of color. Uh, it's a setup. Now, Bill Sapp, and Biden, only thing they're doing is trying to pacify the black folks to say they've done something, okay, which means that they hadn't done a damn thing but created more problems for us. This agency is corrupted from the, be- from the beginning to the end. And until this systemic problem is fixed in this, this U.S. Department of Agriculture, black farmers would never get due process. Black farmers today needs to get $350 billion so they can get back and buy land and be productive. But this agency has to be ripped from the top to the bottom before any black person will feel comfortable in going into this agency and working with this agency. You can put all the nonprofit organizations out here, Shirley Sherrod and all these other organizations is not going to fix the problem at the USDA because it's a systemic racism across the board. We as black people and black farmers deserve to get paid what we do, not a gift for what they want to give us, Okay. Until we can file a lawsuit that's tight enough and strong enough to demand justice and stand together and not divide it, we've got to learn to come together as a black organization, Hispanic organization, Native American organization, to get due process. We have to do that. And if we don't do that, and shut down the systemic racism at this agency, black farmers would never be able to exist because we are all right now holding on by a strain, a very thin strain, and we all dropping off one by one. If you ain't dropping off because they took your land, they're stressing you out, they're killing you. We need to stop and come together as black farmers and demand justice regardless of the Republicans or Democrats. See, we let the Republicans off. We protest against the Democrats because we got all black votes. We let the Republicans stay up there eight years and do the same damn thing. We got to stand together and fight no matter who's in office, no matter who in Congress, who in the Senate, who in the House, who in the Ag Committee, who in the House Committee, we've got to stand together and stop being sold off 
by people that really don't mean us no good. We got to get this 15 million acres back. We got to get $350 billion of losses for these farmers. That's what I'm here for, for everybody to get a fair shake at the table. If we can do that, we accomplish a whole lot. Other than than that, we ain't doing nothing, pissing in the wind, because that little money, Ain't no farmers going, real farmers going to benefit from that at all. So it's a smack in the face. And Booker and Adam and all those people, Warnock and all those people know that. That's a slap in the face for the black farmer. And then they include everybody else. You're going to have adjudicators, no economists. You're going to tell them not to have a lawyer. Where in the world you you shot yourself in the foot before you walked in the door? So right now, we as black farmers need to come together, file a class action lawsuit, and wear Washington, D.C. ass out. Thank you. Thank you, Michael Stovall. Um, right now, uh, Wayman, you've been uh, very quiet. And you've had a chance to listen to uh, what is being said, and you heard uh, uh, another perspective which you haven't heard a lot of from Tanya Ward Jordan and uh, uh, um, Marcel Reed as well. Um, where where are we, and where do you think we need to go? I, I, we just heard what uh, the strong feelings of uh, Michael Stovall, and I'd like to know. Um, uh, we have a, another uh, 20, 25, uh, a few more minutes to go. What is your view? Uh, how do you feel, and what are you seeing? Uh, you've done research, and you've done films and interviewed many black farmers around the country, and you've been in demonstrations uh, around the country and, and attended conferences. What, are you, what is your thinking on this? Dr. Henson. Well, 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 two or three things, uh, Lawrence. One is that when uh, when uh, Corey Lee starts talking, or when Michael Stowball starts talking, then I just need to shut up, and I just need to pay attention because they they live the life, they bear in their bodies the the pain and suffering that's been inflicted upon them by by usda so a, a thing that i would add so, so that that's that's kind of point number one so i'm always moved when i hear when i hear these gentlemen uh the gentlemen talk i think the second thing that i would want to say is that um and i said this in a, in a limited kind of a way to senator warren uh as she was about to you know check out of our meeting the other day there in, in uh, cory booker's office senator booker's office what I tried to say in a very brief soundbite was uh, that not only is this bad policy and it's hurting people and farmers are, farmers are losing their land and this, that, and the other, I said, but also there are a lot of people that we can think of now who aren't at this demonstration because they have gone on uh, to meet the maker and, and to, to meet their maker, and they, they left early because of the intense stress, the persistent racism, microaggression after microaggression, uh, on and on. on. So that's the thing that I'm concerned about, that, that I've seen people watch this documentary 
that Sean and I produce, and this was about nine of the first 15 black farmers who settled in some way with the USDA DOJ back in 97 to 99. And I've seen people, as they watch that, they're moved, and I can see the observers of the film crying as tears are flowing down the cheeks of people, uh, men and women who are on, on, their, their screen, on, their, on their movie screens. So what I think it would be a miraculous thing if someday USDA would wake up and say, what we're doing is not only are we stealing land, not only are we stealing generational wealth from future farmers and families and on and on and on the way, the way Michael was talking about it there, but we are also killing people in the process so that when a black farmer comes in to the local FSA office and is treated with, with indignity and disrespect and all manner of things happen with their uh, uh, farm operating plan loans and papers and numbers are changed that won't cash flow where they forget to send it in or whatever the case may be, that, that that's, that's a blow to human dignity. And that's a blow okay. to the selfhood. Of, so, so we need to know the pain and the suffering that these farmers experience. And that's okay. what, uh, yeah. Okay, Wayman, thank, thank you very much. I'm sorry to cut you off. I, I You're welcome, like no problem. To, um, thank you so very much. Um, we, we, we're down to about uh, two more minutes, and I would like to uh, close, uh, um, Corey, uh, thank you all for being on, but I would like to give uh, Tanya Ward Jordan. If, Tanya, if you're still there, I would like for you to close out with what you're hearing and what you think. And we have about two more minutes, but I'd like for you to close the show down and give us your your your, your opinion on what you've been hearing today and what you know. Well, um, thank you, Lawrence, and I thank you for having me. Uh, what I heard from the, the farmers, it, it just kind of – echoes uh, what I feel as a federal worker, what I've been uh, hearing from other federal workers. I heard about stress. I heard about how it's impacting uh, the wellness of individuals. I hear about, I heard the farmers speak of uh, systemic discrimination, and therefore all this that the black farmers are going through, it just it, 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 re- it recants in my mind what I said all along, the, 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 trickle, the trickling effect of this internal discrimination in the federal workplace and how it's bleeding into the public. And um, that, that's what I take my takeaway from after hearing the farmers. Well, thank you very much. I think we are run pretty much out of time. Uh, Marcel, do we have any minutes left? Uh, to give Corey a moment or uh, how are we doing on time. I want to thank all the guests for being on. Uh, this show has been dynamite and, turn, and very informative uh, to our listening public. Marcel? Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, who has spoken on this show this, this evening. Um, I look forward to our next episode, and I'm sorry that's all the time we have. Good evening.